I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, the subject is words from the Bible that have additional meaning that most people are at least a little bit unaware of. We're going to talk about Elohim, about Yahweh or Jehovah, about Adam and Eve, and that phrase, help me, that some people like and some people just really don't like from Genesis. So stay tuned. Before I do that, however, I want to invite everyone again this month on the fourth Friday, which is July 28th, to hear firsthand a near-death experience, this time from a woman who's a devout Latter-day Saint named Eloise Weaver. This event will happen at the auditorium at 21st South and State Street in Salt Lake City, 7 p.m. until about 8.30 If you have additional questions, feel free to send me an email. I'll be happy to fill in details. My email is martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com. Eloise Weaver was, in a nutshell, driving with her husband and daughter up to Montana when somebody coming the other way fell asleep, crossed the center line, and hit their car head-on. She and her husband were horribly injured, and without telling the whole story, they met each other in the air above the car before he departed for the next life, and she went back into her horribly broken and injured body to take care of their children. It's quite a touching story, and I hope you'll consider attending. It, it's, it's one of the most amazing ones that I have ever heard. Anyway, if you'd like to be, if you'd like to be there, it's free and open to the public. Everyone's welcome, absolutely no cost. And if you have more information that you would like to hear, send me an email, martinstanner at gmail.com. All right, right into today's topic. Let's start off with the word Elohim. Genesis 1.27 says, 
And Elohim created man in his own image. What does this really mean? And it also describes that he creates humans, male and female. And then he uses the plural form. So where does the word Elohim come? Is this the name of God? Is this a description? Is this something else? Well, I suppose it all depends on the context and what you want to derive from it. But the first part of it, El as in Elohim, El just simply means deity. And it's derived from from a word that means strength or power. Deity were always believed by the early Jewish people to be full of strength, all-powerful. And so, literally, the word is derived from the idea of strength and power. The fascinating part is that it's plural. And so it's talking about the strong and powerful ones who are male and female. So Genesis one twenty seven might say, and the strong and powerful ones, both male and female, created the humans in their own image. That might be a more precise way to translate it. Let's go into a little more detail here, <clears throat> excuse me, which might help just a bit. The him in Elohim is the masculine plural suffix. So this seems to be a masculine form, except that it says male and female. Masculine forms are often used when you're talking not just about a male, but also about something that is extremely powerful. And so it's a fascinating word, one that we probably don't completely understand, but it's one that literally means, and the gods created the humans in their own form and image as males and females. Let's go on to the next one. Jehovah or Yahovah, literally this means the self-existent one or the one who is powerful enough to exist of himself or the powerful one who exists all by himself, not relying on others or anyone else. Or, as some have also translated it, Jehovah or Yahweh means the one who has all power in and of himself, not dependent on any one else or any other thing. A fascinating idea that's presented there. This is also the name that is often attributed to Jesus. We know that there are a number of Latter-day Saints who believe that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. We know that that's not an isolated idea, that early Christians also believed that. And this idea that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament is something that we find in the book of Jude and in a number of other places, especially where we have Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. Now, the fascinating part of it is that 
just as we want to have all of these different words have a precise meaning, we must realize that we can't do it. There are certainly places where the word Jehovah is referring to God the Father. You say, oh, where would that be? You can find a number of them in the Old Testament where it says, and the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim did this. Jehovah Elohim did that. And it's not necessarily Jehovah and Elohim. It's written together without the coupling and idea. It's Jehovah Elohim did this and Jehovah Elohim did that. We also have an example of that in Latter-day Saint history. Take a look at the dedicatory prayer in Doctrine and Covenants section 109, where you have Joseph Smith saying in a prayer that he said was revealed from God. He's, he's, he's praying in that prayer. He's saying, O Lord God. And at other places, he says to this same being to whom he's praying, O great Jehovah. And so he in this context, uses those names for deity interchangeably. And so just as in Latter-day Saint history, there's some overlap, you can't just look at the word Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament to mean only one thing. It just doesn't work like that. You must look at context. If you're interested in a fascinating not well-known translation of the Bible that you can use to aid yourself in this. And if you're a strict King James Bible reader, you can get this Bible in King James. You can get it in a modern English version or a King James version. And it's called the Names of God Bible. It's really quite fascinating. What does the Names of God Bible do? It actually has everything translated into English. It's the King James Bible, but every time you have the word Lord or God or Lord God Almighty or any other description or Jehovah, any other descriptions of God, they are written in the ancient Hebrew, not in the modern English. So you can see exactly where Elohim and Jehovah and El Yan and all the other words happen. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. If you have a question or comment about this show or any other show, or if you have a religious question, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner 
at gmail.com. And once again, briefly, I'll mention that if anyone is interested in coming to an event free and open to the public, sponsored by the International Association for Near-Death Studies, the Utah chapter, on July 28th from 7 until about 8.15 or 8.30 p.m., you can listen to a devout Latter-day Saint woman named Eloise Weaver, who was in a terrible car crash and who rose up out of her body and met her husband, who was also killed. And they embraced, and before he was drawn over to the other side and she was told she had to go back, she had this touching moment with him. She'll be describing that and many, many other things in her near-death experience. Uh, I invite you to come if you're at all interested. July 28th, the location is the auditorium at the county Salt Lake County building at 2100 South State Street, 2001 South State Street on the northeast corner. If you have questions, feel free to send me an email. I'll give you more details. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. All right, back to our topic today. We've just finished talking briefly about Elohim and Jehovah. Now let's move on to some other ones that are hard to understand. Maybe another way to say it would be we could understand them better with a little bit more information that's not often taught or heard. Adam and Eve, and then the phrase helpmeet. First of all, we're all familiar with the name Adam, as found in the book of Genesis. But what does it really mean? Let's take a look at the roots of the word and see. The word dom, without the ah at the beginning, means blood. And that may be a literal meaning, as in blood is the force of life. It also seems perhaps even more to mean red, as in red-colored soil. Let's, let's take a look, because that may be counterintuitive or something you haven't heard before. We can derive the meanings that I'm telling you about from the word Adam by looking at other words that come from it, that are derived from Adam. The word Adama comes from the word Adam, and it's the feminine form for the word ground or dirt. The word Edom, which is also derived from the word Adam, means red or literally red dirt. Each of these words has the common meaning of red in it, and so Dom is red or blood, and Adama literally means the ground that's red. And so if you pull all of these together, some of the more interesting recent translations are that Adam means the first man derived from the red-colored dirt, or the man who came from the red ground, or the red man who came from the dirt, or the red ground. And these, these are all plausible translations, 
there's really no way to know exactly which one is correct, but they all give you a little different sense of the word Adam than you may have heard about. Now, you might also ask, wait a minute, Adam, that's just a name. Um, Do the names really mean what the people are that have them? And the answer is yes. In Jewish tradition, people were named, and we don't know if this is from the time of their birth. Sometimes it is. We know that Mary, for example, was told what to name Jesus before he was even born. But the whole idea is that if you go through the Bible, you will find that the name a person has literally means who they are or what their character is. So after having described Adam as a man derived from the ground, or perhaps the first man who was derived from the red ground or dirt, let's go on to Eve. The word Eve really doesn't have Hebrew origins. It's sort of an Anglis, an English form derived through Latin, early English and Latin, that originally came from a Hebrew word or name called Shawa, which is derived from another Hebrew word, Chawa, which is a little bit different, but isn't as long, and it means to breathe. And so the underlying word that means Eve means to breathe or to give life. Chaya, in addition to meaning breathe, means to live from the idea that things that are alive must breathe. And so according to the Old Testament, you have the first man coming from the dirt and his wife is the one who causes all people, ultimately, derivatively, to breathe or to live. She gives the breath of life to all humans. They all start with her. And finally today, let's take a look at this phrase, help meet. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet, or I will make for him and help meet. Now, while the King James translates the Hebrew phrase, help meet for him, there are some other translations that are fascinating. Among those are a helper fit for him in the Revised Standard Version. The New Revised Standard Version says a helper as his partner. The New King James translation says a helper comparable to him. And I think now we're getting a little closer to the real meaning. Another translation in the Young Literal translation of the Bible is an helper as his counterpart. So why are they translating it this way? What does the phrase really mean? Let's take a look at the underlying meanings of the word. The word here that is derived in this phrase simply means helper. So we're starting out with this idea that Eve really is a helper. The second word in here, kenegedo, is derived from the word neged, kenegedo, with a um, prefix that means like. And so this would literally mean that Eve is like Adam, of him, 
So she's not different. She's of Adam and like him. But the neged part also means to be face to face. And this doesn't literally mean what it sounds like. This, this is sort of an analogy. The verb means to come face to face in order to tell someone something. An example is in Genesis 21, 16, Hagar went and sat down opposite her son face to face. Even though she was away from a little distance away, they were face to face. And so if you put all these things together, what you have going on is that Eve is someone who is like Adam, but also his mirror image or his opposite or perhaps a contrast to him or a compliment to him, or someone with opposing attributes. This is the the meaning of the phrase helpmeet. And so what it says is, I a good translation, mechanical translation might be, I will make for Adam a helper who has an opposite point of view as his other half, and together they will become one whole, each with a different but complementary point of view. This is a fascinating way to see this phrase. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.